Hello and welcome to the Listix AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norden, and we're here to pull apart an AFL playing list, analyze the key list indicators, and determine what the club is missing and what moves they should be making in the off-season. As always, I'm here with my co-host and demon lover, Sean Lewis. Sean, how are you doing this week, mate? Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this, actually. It's been, obviously, a disappointing weekend with, with the Ds going down, but, you know... Um, I just absolutely love being able to slice apart my own list and have a look at, you know, what potential moves there are and, and, you know, the one, I guess, one of the things with being probably down the bottom for so long is that they've become quite brutal and very ruthlessly efficient at uh, at getting out the delistings and no sooner was uh, Mad Monday completed hadn't, and they had started their interviews um, yesterday, which is, it's Wednesday night. Um, at the moment, so started their end of season exit interviews and and basically told um, six players they were no longer required or five players I think. So yeah, it's good to see them act yeah, quickly. It is, mate. Um, and I mean, your D's did really perform very well this year. I think that they were probably one of the teams where the ladder position didn't reflect um, how how much they'd stepped up. Um, your percentage is probably a better reflection in, in dominating some teams throughout the year. And uh, I think that you've shown enough to suggest that you're definitely going to be in the hunt next year. I think that some people would have you guys um, being one of the flag favourites. I think that you might be a little bit further back yeah. than that. But with with some with some slight tweaks, you, you can be there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think, look... Um you know the supporter in me. I, I set the the standard this year as to make finals. So, I guess as excited as I was through the finals, um, I I guess I was keeping myself in check, thinking that, well, if my target was just to make finals, well, we've made them, and so everything from here is a bonus. Um, what's interesting is though that that now that they've made the preliminary final, the expectation has to be top four. Like you can't just yeah. rest on your laurels and go, well, we. We beat a 12-year hoodoo and off we go um, into the sunset. No, it's got to be top four. And, you know, you're right when you say the percentage really reflected um, probably where we were at. Um, Champion Data basically did this thing where they they looked at um, all the teams um, and what games they didn't perform as they had across all the others in terms of how many shots at goal they had um, and their percentages based on where the shots were taken from and whether they met their averages or not. And, and basically it was to, to basically see if teams had under or overperformed in the match. Um, and in that they were able to basically re, based on all the data that they have, redo the ladder based on what the, I guess, the predictive wins were. Um, and Melbourne should have finished third on that. You know, we lost um, we lost the game against Sydney, despite having, you know, over 10 more scoring shots, lost the game against Geelong after the siren, despite having more scoring shots. You know, there was quite a few games which we, we, you know, lost that theoretically, based on the key statistics in the game that people follow, we, we just, um, we didn't execute well enough. We didn't do the finishing work so yeah yeah I mean look like it's always something to improve on and and you know this year was a terrific year for us in terms of you know we broke a heap of droughts you know we we finally put the North Melbourne uh run to bed we broke the Eddie had hoodoo I think end of last year but it was good to have a couple of wins over there this year 
Um, obviously, the 12-year finals drought. So, you know, there's there's a lot of positives there. You know, we made finals and we went deep. What what can you complain about there? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't I don't think anything. And your list is in pretty good shape as well. I mean, average age of 24 years. So you're sitting about the middle of the AFL there, as far as the as like the middle of a ladder. So ninth. Um, and average games of 56.9, which is the seventh least. Um, so you guys are still really on the trending up, um, and you're probably at about the right stage to um, make some further gains. And if I just take a look at the depth chart as well, four key forwards, uh, eight general forwards, 15 midfielders, and five of those are mid-forwards. Uh, three rucks, nine general defenders, and five key defenders. So a pretty well-balanced list. Maybe um, some additional ruck depth could be in there, especially now that Pedersen um, seems to be on the way out. And he's been told that he won't be needed at Melbourne anymore. Um, so just probably need to shore up that end of the ground. But as far as the rest of the list goes, it's pretty well-balanced. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think the the main thing for Melbourne is that we've, they've built their their um their list now is all built around the, the contested um, midfield multiple position type players. So, you know, those mid forwards you're talking about guys like um Aaron Vandenberg, Alex Neil Bullen, these kind of guys that are playing probably predominantly more forward than they are midfield, but they do run through the midfield a lot. Um, and as well as that, obviously the defensive side, Angus Brayshaw played a bit on the halfback flank. Christian Salem plays back there, Jordan Lewis. These are all players who go through the midfield as well at different times. So, you know, it's a good... When you look at the list and you look at the players, you kind of there's not many players you can actually nail down to be single position players, um, which is yep. a really great thing. So I think that flexibility, that inbuilt flexibility in the team actually allows them to be quite adaptable in their game. Just touching on the average age thing, it was interesting. Um, on a week-to-week basis, Melbourne was, I think, on average, the fifth youngest side on the, on the, on the weekend. So even though we're ninth oldest in the AFL, so we sit in that middle bracket, we actually slip into the bottom six for average age on the weekends. And, and part of that's actually driven, um, when you look at our list, um, and this is, this, Melbourne's kind of unique in this, this category, when you look at our age breakdown in the brackets, we've only got five guys under 21, and that's due to probably the last two years trading out a lot of picks. We've got 23 got players um, between 21 and 24. So majority of our list, so 23 players out of 45, that's over half, over half our list just, in yeah. in that one age bracket. You've got nine in the 25 to 28 bracket and seven in the over 28 bracket. So you look at that and you go, well, on the weekend, half our list is made up of that bracket, so our average age is going to be obviously kept down. Um, probably the only complication with this is you worry about what's coming in behind them. So, mm. you know, with having traded away first-round picks for, for Lever and trading in second-round picks, um, you know, Melksham, Hibbard, the Lewis deal, that kind of stuff. Lewis was a, an end, like a fourth-rounder maybe, but, you know, trading away those second-round picks um, to bring in players has probably uh, cost us in that under-21 bracket. But, you know, in terms of the games breakdown, it also means we have 32% of our games across our list in that 21 to 24 bracket, which is unique in the AFL. So it gives us a, a really nice balance going forward to, for medium to long-term success, which is, you know, I'm pretty 
you know, as a supporter, I'm pretty happy about that. But only concern I have is just the trading of the picks means that we're not quite regenerating youth in behind at the moment, and it's not an issue probably for the next two or three years. But after that, it becomes an issue. Yeah, you need to um, you need to hope that as you continue up the ladder, that you're able to acquire some kids trying to come home. Uh, so people that have gone to another club uh, for one or two years, uh, or probably two years, and have filled out their first contract are of reasonable talent, and you might be able to get them for what your first round pick or your second round pick will be, just to keep that talent pipeline filled up with young players. Because you, you do you do need a mixture of um, experience and um, and development players. Yeah, absolutely. You you do, and that's probably the one thing we see. You know, working through these lists week to week is is you know a lot of the sides towards the top are often quite heavily weighted at the top end. So they're, you know, they've got you know a lot of teams have something like eighty five percent of their games above twenty five years old. Um, yeah. Whereas Melbourne has you know. Uh, 77% above 25 years old, which is probably on the lower end, or it's probably the lowest in the top eight. I'd have to double-check, but at a guess, I'd say maybe maybe the Giants could be potentially younger uh, with the experience, sorry, have the experience in that younger bracket, but they'd be the only other ones I could think of. So, you know, um, probably, you know, another good point for Melbourne, which has been a sore spot for many years, has been the great recruitment in the draft since since 2014. Yep. Um, if you have a look at a lot of... Uh, who you know how we played well this year and who played well you know um, 2014 we got Protracker and Brayshaw um, you know Brayshaw with the the pick uh, for Frawley leaving um, and heading to to Hawthorne so um, and he obviously finished third in the Brownlow somehow. <laughs> Um, Alex Neil Bullen was taken there. Billy Stretch, who was a father-son, who's probably on the fringes at the moment. Um, Oscar McDonald was taken in the pick in the 50s, who's who's a key defensive post. Aaron Vandenberg was plucked in the rookie draft. So, you know, that's a really good year. 2015, we picked um, Clayton Oliver, Sam Wiedemann. Wiedemann probably eight weeks ago wouldn't have been mentioned on this podcast, but he's had a terrific end to the season. Um, and 2016, we picked up Mitch Hannon with a late pick. And 2017, obviously, Spargo and Bailey Fritch have have really shown um, quite well. So it's we've finally had a, a stint uh, of really good recruitment, and that's positive for, for Jason Taylor and the crew down there with um, Todd Viney at the helm as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, probably the concern there is sometimes we, we have a tendency to recruit the same type of player. We're very one-paced. Yeah, and, and that's the I mean the obvious risk of the super contested, um, super dominant ruck game style is that what happens if a Gorn goes down, um, or B you get teams sort of playing too like allowing you to have the contest, um, similar to what West Coast did to you, uh, and I think a couple of teams might have mugged you throughout the year by just forfeiting. Um, forfeiting first possession and not sort of battling on, but structuring really well behind the ball. And also um, trying to, as you mentioned, rob you at the contest, as in let you let Gorn do his hit out to you and then take the ball off you um, and, and do their best to take the ball off you, which is Melbourne's strength. Yeah, absolutely. They um, yeah, that that's the it's probably the best game style to defeat a contested ball with a dominant ruck um, is basically let them pick up the first hands and then just mug them because. 
Um, if you overcommit at the contest against a team who's who's better than you at the contest, you're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, West Coast don't have a hell of a great inside game um, without Nick Nat there, especially. But they've got great outside runners. You know, Elliot Yo, um, Chris Marston was good. You know, Luke Shuey can run. You know, it's not saying these guys can't go in and get their own ball, but you know, there's no reason for three of them to try and go toe to toe with Oliver Viney and Brayshaw. You're better off letting two of them run into each other. You know, Shuey jumps in, lays a tackle, forces a, a rushed handball, and then you've got an extra number on the outside ready just to pick it off and, and feed out and get on the run. Yeah. So, you know, and that, that's probably, you know, one of my one of my biggest problems with Melbourne is is a one-dimensional game plan. Uh, it relies so heavily on on Gorn and the contest and the, and the stoppage. Um, and when, we, when we're... Despite winning hitouts and stoppages, when we're losing the actual clearances, or when we're rushing clearances, we we just can't compete. Like Richmond earlier in the year, just um, Alex Rance probably took about forty marks for the game. Like it was, you know, just kick it to Alex Rance. And um, I I get a little bit scared with Simon Goodwin because I feel sometimes these tactics fall back into like kind of low level coaching style tactics. Like on the weekend when we were getting heavily scored against, he just drops another number behind the ball and thinks that that's going to get us out of trouble. Um, sometimes it can, but when West Coast have probably two really, really good ball users, two or three really good ball users behind behind the footy, and that loose is Shannon Hearn, who's probably the most damaging of the lot, uh, it's not a good game plan. So, Yeah, you're playing into the other team's hands then. It's, it's the same thing that, um, I mean, Hawthorne, would always like you to do that because you're giving them an extra number behind the ball as well. Um, same with Richmond. Probably Collingwood would want to do the same with Howe and um, definitely the Eagles with McGovern and Hearn. They just want to. They just want you to do that. They almost dare you into playing an extra number behind the ball, and then they just cut you apart with their space and time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and look, I think for Melbourne, probably the the glaring thing all year was that the defence needs to be strengthened. Um, yeah. I think it's it's an interesting one as well. I'm a little bit concerned. Like so, Port Adelaide last year were uh, like, like last season were a lot like Melbourne were this year. They were you know high scoring, um, conceded a bit more than they liked, and then this year, despite recruiting heavily, they then put into this ultra defensive game plan. And I really don't want Melbourne to do that. I want Melbourne to yes, we need to d- improve our defence either by recruiting someone or developing our players better or looking at a different system. But mm. I don't want to see them regress the attacking game style because you look at the teams that are in the grand final, you look at how we got to the, you know, into the preliminary finals, you look at the teams that were successful through finals, all of them were attacking. So you need to maintain that attack. Yeah, mate, I, I completely agree with you. I think you do. I think you probably need to strengthen your spine Lever coming back Miller next year will be good. But again, he sort of more allows you to play a third tall because he's very good at the intercept and the reading of the play, probably better than both of your other key backs. Um, yeah. But probably still want maybe a Lyndon Dunn type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, maybe a Jeremy Howe would be nice as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. Thank you for the back line that we've got at Collingwood. Um, yeah. Do you want to do you want to move into the off contract? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, I'm I'm happy to start this off. Um, yeah, mate, go go for it. 
So just to update, Melbourne yesterday uh, delisted Cam Pedersen. Uh, they delisted Mitch King, who was a backup ruckman on three oh, sure he was on the rookie list. Tom Bug was delisted. Lockie Flippovic, who was also a rookie ruck, he was delisted as well. Yep. Pat McKenna, who was traded from GWS a few years ago, who's had massive hamstring issues, he was delisted. We've also got two retirements in Bernie Vince and Harley Ballack, which leaves us with a grand total of seven spots or six mainless spots that are up for grab. Um, and the first out-of-contract player that comes up on the list after Cam Pedersen is Dean Kent, who it's come out today in his exit interview has requested a trade to St Kilda, who have offered him a three-year deal. Um, and last night when I sent this through to John, um, I said we should be looking to trade him. Yeah, he said trade trade or re-sign and uh, like re-sign for a shorter length contract than St Kilda were offering, and I'd probably agree with that. I think that... He's definitely a good enough player to re-sign if he changes his mind. But it probably feels like you're going to get more on the trade table um, than you would for, for anything else. And he seems probably surplus to needs. Um, but that said, I think that he's still a good player and you, you can re-sign him if, if he changes his mind. Otherwise, just you and everyone else are going to have to be lining up to trade with St Kilda because it seems like there's going to be a lot of players swapping home. So maybe yeah, yeah. We, we can talk about that in the trade. Yeah, well, look, yeah, his value is actually going to be an interesting one. I, I, yeah, I'm not really sure where he sits, but we'll get into that. Next up, we've got Jay Kennedy-Harris. He's been on the list for five years. Last year, he was off contract as well. We offered him a one-year deal. He played six or seven games this year. Yep. Um, look, he'll probably get offered another one-year deal, um, if I'm predicting what Melbourne will do. Um, I would probably delist him in the sense that I do not think he will be on our list past another contract um, and he's he's kind of one of those ones where he dominates VFL he's a bit like Ben Kennedy when we yeah. brought him in like dominates VFL but then when he goes up to AFL his role changes because he's a bit shorter and a bit um, a bit small um, and then he's just not able to impact the contest as much as he should be able to or positively wants to either so yeah yeah short and short and not super quick like he he's fast, but not 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 fast enough for short. Um, well, Spar- and, Spargo took your spot. Yeah, exactly. And Spargo is not the quickest either. Like Spargo is, Spargo is, is just like energetic and nippy, which is what you have to be if you're going to be in that small player role. Um, you have to sort of be at least relentless with your pressure. I mean, even before pressure was a thing that people talked about, like when. Richmond um, feel like they invented pressure last year. Uh, the pressure has been around for a long time before that. And if you look at the kind of players that um, these shorter players were modelled off, um, go back 10, 15 years, they were still nitpicky, smaller players that apply lots of pressure. That was the role you have to play because you can't just be a slower marking player. You don't have the same attributes as some of the taller players do. So you have to be able to apply that pressure and he can't. So he's he's delisted for me as well. Look, I mean, I think when you're talking about those players, we're talking about, you know, the players everyone loves to hate, the Stephen Milnes, the ha- ha- um, the Hayden Ballantines, you know, these sorts of, you know, forwards who just pester and pop up with two or three goals occasionally. And, yep. You know, um, I just don't think Kennedy Harris can do that. He, he seems more like a midfielder, so... Yeah, I agree, now, mate. Moving on, we have the um, the... The leather poisoning man, Aaron Vandenberg. 
Um, yeah. He's been on this for four years, 18 months out with uh, stress fractures in his feet. Um, he came back and was huge for us in finals. So I absolutely love him. I think the guy is a fantastic player. Um, he was a mature age recruit um, from the Neeful who um, had leather poisoning all season. I think he, in one game, racked up 54 touches or something. So I've got him down for re-sign for three years. That might be a little bit of bias in that because I love him. But, um, yeah, that's where I sit. Yeah, I'd say it's a bit biased. Just not biased. Um, it's just... It wouldn't be the smartest move if he's just been out for 18 months with an injury. Probably a two-year deal would be safer. Um, There's maybe some performance clauses or something. Yeah, exactly. Two two years plus if you play 30 games across those two years, then it automatically triggers a third. Something like that to just make sure that he's just not going to get dud feet or do it, break something and be out for another 12, 18 months and then not get back to form. He he's got a he's well and truly earned a contract renewal. I think that he deserves more than a year, so two years I think would be a good deal for him. Yeah, that's fair. Um, next up, we've got Declan Kelty, who is a key position um, utility. Plays back and forward. Um, we picked him up from Casey as a mature age, um, and he's been on the list for two years. Um, continues to provide depth, yet to make his AFL debut, if I can remember correctly. Um, I've still got him to keep him for another year because, uh, again, I think, as we spoke about, we've only got nine key position players and I think um, a bit like Tim Smith being a utility and being um, a good, strong depth, I think we'd, I'd like to re-sign him for another year. He's only on the rookie list as well. so Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, I think that you should re-sign him as well. Um, he actually played a pretty good back half of the year um, in, the, in the best couple of times towards the end of the year I think maybe in the um, back half or maybe after the first six round of the season um, so in the back half of the season he was in the best nine times out of 15 games so definitely knocking down the door um, or at least providing that depth and you guys had the lever injury but just not the um, not the injury for a role like his so I'd give him another year yep yeah fair call so next up is Dion Johnson um, a small forward hasn't played a game he's uh, 20 years old um, I've got him based on the fact that we've already delisted or had retired 7 spots I think he's probably going to get another a year just to you know because they kind of can't keep we won't be able to fill 7 list spots I don't think so you'll be um, able to fill 7 list spots mate don't worry about it delist, delist <laughs> yeah. him that's the right thing to do he Hasn't lived up to expectation to date, um, and for me, I would just chop him and give him an opportunity to go back to the VFL and see if he can make it, but if he, I don't think he's got it. Yeah, fair call. Um, lastly uh, is Tim Smith, another one on the rookie list like Declan Kelty, two years on the list, um, was recruited as a mature age. He's about 27. Um, played six games this year, unfortunately got injured. He came in after the lever injury, um, and, you know, I felt he really did well. Um, I think there's an AFL quality player there, even though he's a bit older. Um, I'd like to see him promote him to the to the main list and, and re-sign him for at least a year, if not two. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe give him another year on the rookie list. I think that he's, I think that he's been good. I don't think that anyone else is going to try to touch him, given that he's 27 already. And I think that you could afford to have him on the rookie list for another year. 
um, make your decision up next year and he'll be a bit cheaper. Yeah, I guess so. Could go either way, but... Yeah, I prefer to keep the main list spots for um, for rookies. Um, it's just, you can... You get all your picks before everybody else, so even if it means that you're taking like two or three picks extra than you want to at the end of the draft, um, so you're the only person picking, you might have 80, 81, and 82, that's still better than um, 20, 30, and um, 40 in the rookie draft because you've got all the other people picking before you, so you just... I'd prefer to see those picks come through in the national draft. Yeah, fair. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just about how they want to build their... If they think they're going to be able to take... I don't know, five players, if they think they can, you know, make it all count um, and there is someone they still want there, then, yeah, go for it. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, put him on the main list and open up another rookie list for, for uh, a speculative ruck again. Yeah. Um, well, that, that completes all our off-contracts. Uh, on to trade and draft. What's missing, mate? Well, not much. Um, you're actually pretty good, mate. I don't want um, to knock into the Ds too much because really... Balanced list, good age profile, uh, pretty similar to the Giants, really, like where you've got lots of people that are getting better. So it's hard to say, like, you know, you do need defenders, but Oscar McDonald's not at his peak yet, so he's still getting better. Um, I'd say that probably having a gun key defender would be handy, and like the elephant in the room when we say gun key defender is Stephen May. Um, but I I think he would add uh, an enormous amount just based on the fact that at the moment you don't have any star power back there Um, so it's all working class which is fine Um, and systems and structures work with working class but you would be recruiting a leader uh, former captain of a club we know he flies the flag Stephen May and I think that he he leaps out as a a clear option for, for the D's yeah, absolutely, he does. He um, look, I, I really like Stephen May. I've you know watched a lot of him at Gold Coast, and I think you know he if he is wanting to come back to Victoria, um, and the and the Suns are willing to trade him, I think yeah, Melbourne and, and Collingwood are going to be going toe to toe, especially with um, Lever and Sharonberg out for considerable parts of next season. So I definitely like to see the D's get in that conversation and, and try and figure out how and we'll look at that in a minute um, obviously there's another big ele- there's a few elephants in the room with the D's being, um, <laughs> being talked about a fair bit at the moment probably probably for me um, I really do feel we need a second ruck of good quality um, and that's where Braden Proust comes in another elephant that's just walked in yeah um, he, yeah, so, I mean, for Bruce, I'm not sure how it makes sense, but for the Ds, I can see very much how it makes sense. But, um, you know, the other big thing for us is pace. We just, we we lack um, outside speed and and AFL quality outside speed. So we got, we got some pacey blokes, like Dion Johnson's a perfect example. Like, he's quite pacey, um, but he's not AFL quality. So, um, yeah, I'd like to see us get some... If we're if we're going to attack um, next season and and try and push up a bit more, we may need to look a bit older. Um, Andrew Gaff would be ideal, but you know he's probably going to get bigger and better offers from other clubs. Melbourne's pretty tight on their pay structure at the moment. Um, obviously, with you know some pretty key people coming out of contract next year. Um, so the other options, I think you've floated Aaron Hall before. He'd probably be um, pretty good, but the question is whether 
the coaching staff in, in Goodwin and Co would be willing to accept uh, his lack of defensive effort sometimes. Yeah, um, which they wouldn't or, be. Yeah, so he probably might fall out. I do really like the idea of Shire Bolton from Richmond. Um, that was one that really tickled me. Um, he would be a very handy addition to our forward line and just give it a bit of dynamic pace that that probably Jeff Garlett brings, but he probably has a bit more of the defensive pressure that Jeff Garlett hasn't been bringing, which is why he's been out of the side. Yeah, and mate, I completely agree because pace, especially in the forward line, is really important these days. Just to offer something different um, when you when you're going forward, um, and it's not somebody that's going to come in and um, all of a sudden break down the game and kick six goals at a time. But you just need that player, um, that player with some real um, worry factor, uh, yes. which is which is something that that probably isn't in the forward line except for the talls. I think you have worry some talls. Um, I wouldn't want to be lining up against Tom McDonald if I was a key defender, uh, but. There's not many other guys in that forward line. Like, Spargo probably doesn't belong in the forward line and he'll transition out of there. Petrarca, maybe. But even Petrarca has been a little bit fumbly. He's yet to fully do a nat fife and um, and go beast mode. Yep, um, agreed with that. So, for me, the, the clear one would be someone like Shy Bolton because I think that you'll get him for less than what he's worth. Um, and... Uh, back up Ruck I, I don't think you should be going after Braden Pruce just because I think you'll pay too much for him um, and won't play him so for me it's insurance but I would prefer the insurance of somebody similar to what we said uh, last night or the other night with the, with the Tigers yeah I'd rather you go after somebody like a Dawson Simpson who you can rob GWS of their good depth Ruckman um, I think he's probably better placed at GWS to get games, but he's the kind of player that I'd be looking for. Even somebody that plays like a similar style of role. So um, Hickey out of contract, I don't know if he'll probably be a little bit more, a little bit too expensive. But even Matthew Lewenberger, like just a stretch, uh, a stretch ruckman that's going to offer depth for one or two years because really you're you're riding it uh, at the same time as developing a young ruckman. So I'd prefer you go to the draft for that. Yeah, look, I. I agree with you, but you know it sounds like it's it's very much a, a going to happen situation. So you know, racking my brain trying to figure out the logic of it, and um, I think there's a the other the the Jesse Hogan ginormous white elephant sitting over there in my room at the moment um, probably explains things a little bit more with this type of idea. Yeah. Um, and I can t- I'll talk you through that in a sec, but but obviously um, there's been the last two days in the paper it's come out that potentially, um, and these are non-confirmed rumours. This is you know just coming from an article by Greg Denham in the Australian, um, and then has been picked up by a few others and hasn't really been denied by Melbourne or or Jesse or his management. So the the current thing is that that Fremantle's made a multi-million dollar offer for. Hogan, um, and they're pretty keen on getting him across, as I can imagine they would. Um, he's, you know, since coming in one year late, because he missed his first season due to a back injury, um, he's played roughly 70 out of a possible 90 games, and he's kicked um, uh, about two goals a game. He's kicked about 150 goals. So he, he's 
when he plays a full season, he's a 40 to 50 goal a season forward, key forward, um, as well as averaging, you know, around that 19 possession mark um, across most of those games. So, you know, he's obviously an extremely good player. Um, he's going to cost a hell of a lot, and I really do hope Melbourne are very strong at the trade table um, with with Hogan. And if, if we are entertaining this trade, you know, the starting price has to be a similar price to to Jake Lever, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then, you know, in terms of how that works with Melbourne, Pruce potentially coming in and Hogan going out means that, you know, Melbourne might be more open to playing two genuine rucks and having Max Gorn sit key forward a, a bit more, a bit like Mason Cox does at, at Collingwood. So... Having a you know a 210 centimetre key forward just absolutely stretches every defence under the sun, um, and I think that might be some sort of logic when they're looking forward to next year, and then looking at the fact that you know the AFL is looking, and this ties into the AFL rules and and how teams are planning for this. If the AFL Commission brings in 666 starting position and Melbourne's a contested ball winning side and they keep just pumping the ball out of the middle like they do. They really need a big, tall target down there. Now, whether it's Pruce or Gorn, it doesn't really matter if you're over 205 centimetres and you can stick your arms up in the air. That's all they need. So I'm thinking along those lines that this is how it all makes sense to be trading in a guy like him um, and potentially letting Jesse Hogan go. Yeah, and I think it all makes sense as well if if you can target <clears throat> somebody like a Stephen May. Uh, because yes, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of Melbourne supporters definitely think that uh, Jesse Hogan is worth a lot more than Stephen May is. But for me, um, they probably sit about level based on... I know that Hogan maybe has a few more years left in him, but May's um, had some dominant seasons as a key back and is a leader and is a lot less injury prone. So for me, um, if you could get May and maybe a later pick that you could bundle up with one of your later picks and and go and get um, somebody like a big Proust, then then maybe maybe it makes sense. Um, I don't mind the thinking ahead for the 6-6-6. Six, six, and six. I don't think that Max Gorn's goal-kicking will agree with it. Um, <laughs> he's, maybe he's set for a big pre-season, mate. You don't know. Yeah, that's true. Um, he just needs to do more of the coxie where you just sort of punt, like just chip everything. Don't, don't ever kick through the ball. <laughs> <laughs> only sh- yeah. only have shots on goal from inside thirty, um, yeah, pretty much something like that. But like, I mean, I, I don't mind it. And really, if I'm looking at your team as far as a way to go forward, Hogan out and May in is a win. Like for me, you're better with a better key defender uh, because at the moment, um, if I'm looking at the other options in your in your list. So you're going to have two other options for key forward, which are Weed and Tom McDonald. And if you look at your backs, you're going to have, assuming that Lever's still injured, you're going to have two other options for backs, which is Oscar McDonald and Sam Frost. Sam Frost. So if I'm looking at taking one of those players off the ground, it would be Sam Frost or Oscar McDonald. They're both worse than Weedman and McDonald, and they both have lower scope. Um, and the best thing is is that Lever can play with all of those guys. 
Um, he can still fit in, even if you wanted to play three keybacks, he could play as a fourth keyback and be fine in that run in front and chop off role. Otherwise, one of Oscar McDonald and Frost, probably Frost, is um, is about at an age where you wouldn't mind moving him to be just a depth player. Um, yeah, for me, that's that's a win. That's a that's a way forward, and I, I don't think you should be afraid of it, especially considering it's, it does feel like... It's talked about a lot, but I mean, it feels like Hogan should will go home at some stage in his career, just purely based on how much speculation there is every single year about it. Yeah, and look, like next year he's an unrestricted, he's a restricted free agent. Sorry, next year, um, he obviously had the his his year that he couldn't play AFL, but was on our list as a part of that mini draft. Um, oh yeah, that still counts in his free agency. Really? So yeah, because I was looking at it. I was looking at it with Jack Martin because he's off contract this year, I think. Yeah. And and he yeah. So basically, they potentially he can walk next year anyway. And the best we'd get if we make finals is a pick in the teens for him. So I think you know Fremantle potentially trading out Lockie Neal will give them you know pick what was that five four. Brisbane pick is is currently four, but it'll slide to five. Yeah, yeah, with the Lynch, and then yeah. you know there was even talk of getting involved with um, uh, trading that pick four down to Port Adelaide, who are pretty keen on on Rankin, Rosie, or Lacocious, whoever they can get at pick four. Yeah, um, and then them passing on pick ten and eleven back to Fremantle. So Fremantle would then have five, ten, and eleven. Um, and for Hogan, look, you know, I'm pretty adamant. Melbourne starts at two first round picks, and look, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that it's straight to two first round picks. Pick shuffling behind it to balance it out would be fine, but I think Melbourne, for a player of his caliber, need to be demanding two first round picks come to us. Now, what goes back the other way is something we can discuss. So it might be Hogan and pick 43 this year um, goes back to to um, Fremantle and then it's pick 10 and 11. Um, but yeah, it's... it's. I think Melbourne needs to be a lot firmer at the, at the trade table. We we gave up a high picks for, for Jake Lever last year and he was out of contract. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a player in contract who has obviously got a good offer and is willing to go home and, you know, but we've still got a year of rights on him. So you can you can hold firm and be really firm at that trade table to get what you want because that's then going to set you up to be able to get... If you want to bring in Stephen May, then you need to have the picks to be able to do that. And not starting at two first rounds is a weak position. Yeah, I agree. I think that... Um when I was hearing that it might be four and five for Hogan, I thought it was probably a bit much. But if you could get, um, or five, um, if you can get four and um, ten or eleven or whatever that ends up being, I'd say that's about fair. Like probably overs from Fremantle's perspective. Um, I don't like paying two draft first round draft picks ever. But for Fremantle, um, if they end up with a first-round draft pick and Hogan to take into this year, I think that they'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the two first-round picks is a win-win in a lot of cases, and all you have to do is look at Adelaide and Lever. Like Melbourne, certainly, you know, excluding the ACL, Lever was really good for us, apart from his first probably three games, and and they got Darcy Fogarty, and this year they're going to have pick. 
15, I think, this year from from it. So, you know, they're potentially looking at getting another midfielder there as well. So I think that the two first-rounders, while it can seem unfair, given the time and development to get these players up to scratch, I think it can often work out as a win-win in a lot of ways. So, And especially if it helps Melbourne net Stephen May. So um wanted to ask you, what is Dean Kent worth? Give me a pick. Top of your head. Uh, future third. So St Kilda probably, is probably looking probably like forties, like yep. a future a future forties or a this year's fifties, because you probably lose a little bit of value putting it into the future. So I reckon a future third sits about right with me. Otherwise, probably like maybe pick sixty, which is what um which is what they have, um would get it done because I've seen players better players move for less and I've seen um, worse players move for more so it's, I guess it's a hard it's not necessarily an exact science um, but somewhere somewhere in between 38 uh, and and 70 seems about right <laughs> I don't think he's going for 70 but um, yeah I can get the, the 40s pick kind of feels like that'd be in the area it might get done at yeah um, the only interesting thing is, and this is and it's something I was thinking about today, is that when we recruited um, the milkshake man, Jake Melksham, um, we paid what was pick 25, I think, in the end, um, for him. And I was having a bit of a hunt around his statistics and comparing him with Dan Kent. And, and at the same point, obviously different style of players at that stage. Um, Melksham was playing um, midfield and tagging and all that stuff. But um, it's interesting to see that they're probably not that dissimilar. And I guess it came down to the fact that Melksham was a high draft pick, whereas Ken exactly. was a third rounder, and that, that kind of was the dictating thing. Yeah, from, yeah you're from, right. And that, that typically ends up being that is that, especially when you're training with the club that recruited them in the first place, um, Essendon had spent a top 10 draft pick on him so they probably were fighting for a bit more um, and it's also the position that your club is in um, for them Melksham was probably still the best 22 player um, and they were thinking that they needed to keep as many senior players around as they could and that they might be in the finals mix um, they obviously um, did a whole lot of drugs and got suspended so um <laughs> They couldn't really do anything about that. They He would have not been playing anyway. Um, but they had a, a little bit more leverage in this. I mean, Dean Kent, I know, has been injured. Um, so that will count against him. And he got injured again, which will count against his value. He's been in and out of the side when fit, um, which will count against him as well. And, yeah, I think that he's in your best 22 um, when, he, when he's up and running. I just don't. I cannot see a team paying a second round draft pick for him. He's not. He doesn't hold that value based on everything that we've seen to date. Maybe based on what he could be, but I think that a second round pick can also get you someone like Jake, um, not Jake Melksham, but you can get someone like Michael Hibbard as well for an equivalent pick that you got Melksham for. So for me, he's not as good as both of those guys, and will probably sit somewhere. Yeah, probably. A future third-round pick feels right. This year's third-round pick feels a little bit early. Yeah, okay. So, look, I guess looking at it, I look at Kent and I go, what was he? He was about pick pick 46 or no, pick pick 48. 
he was. So I'd like to see basically at least that comeback. That's that's I guess my position. Like I, I you know, anywhere in that earlier though what was third round run to fifty four. So yeah, anywhere from from basically pick thirty seven back to pick forty eight. Anything in there seems about right. Um, if you can if you can push a second rounder, even if it's a late one, oh, I can't remember exactly what St Kilda's got, but I don't remember them having a great draft hand. They don't. Uh, um, I think they've traded a lot, so um, I guess yeah. I'd, you know, you'd love to sell high, um, and if they've, to be honest, if they put a three-year deal on the table for him, you know, it, it becomes a bit like the lever situation where you've kind of shown your hand. Yeah, they've only got picks five after compensation, and I think pick sixty after compensation. And then like sixty two and sixty four, so maybe you'll get two fourth round picks for him. Um, uh, I'd, or, I'd be pushing for a future third at least. Yeah, I, I think a future third is the right way to go. Or if you're looking for a higher position pick rather than just that, um, would be a like maybe a future second and a future third for your third round pick this year, something like that, where you're getting a pick upgrade. Um, so you're getting into the second round next year, which might end up being a pick in the 20s, and you're giving over a pick in the 40s this year, which is going to be high enough for them. Um, and yeah, I think that something like that could work as well. Yeah, look, yeah, that's probably probably something that's going to happen. To be honest, that that sounds like about the right kind of complication for this sort of. Deal <laughs> yeah, they, so. it's it's funny. Trading isn't as complicated as the draft point system has made it and because previously you used to sort of feel about what the kind of player's value was and you go yeah he's about that all right let's make the trade but now we see a whole lot of ah you know you're getting 50 more points here and 100 more points there um let's trade future back-ended fifth round selections um or something like stupid like that which is like it's not it's not important. Um, it, it like it will come out in the wash, and I'm sure it's nice to haggle over. And I'm sure if I was in the same position, I would haggle over it. But that sort of that sort of change is only really important if you have a a draft selection that you need to match on points that's going to come in the first or second round. Yeah, it sounds like something that the Harvard Harvard Business School teaches that you've got to try and find the most equal trade possible. Yeah, I know, and it's not. Like, it's not the reality. Sometimes you just need to get the trade done and not, like, it's more hassle than it's worth. Um, just do, like, do the trade. Don't worry if you lose 100 points here or 50 there. Um, yep. it, it does all add up, so you need to be on top of it. But sometimes you'll be able to net better results just by focusing on the trades, getting them done, and then focusing on new trades and having that headspace to be able to work through them. Yeah, and I think that's really like last year with Lever, like Melbourne just said, all right, we've we've offered him a big contract, we've ponied up, all right, let's get it done. Yep. And and that and that look, you know, you end up paying a little bit more than you want, and you know, obviously the injury you can't plan for, but you know, at the end of the day, as much as I hate paying two first rounders. I don't think we would, like, our first round, I wouldn't have got Aaron Norton, so we wouldn't have gotten a player like him, so it doesn't matter. Yep. Um, Looking at the, talking about all these picks, um, looking at the picks, obviously Melbourne doesn't have a first round from the lever deal. Um, We've got second round pick is pick 33 at the moment, which will might shuffle down a couple, uh, actually we'll probably end up about there by the time people have sacrificed for 
um, for their academy selections and stuff. Um, third round as a part of the lever deal, um, we got a pick upgrade, so we got rid of our fourth round pick and got Adelaide's third round, which which is pick 43, and then our own, which is pick 50, and then no fourth round. We have in the national, you know, the next gen academy, um, we have a player from um, Dandenong Stingrays called Toby Bedford, who's a very lightly built but high pressure forward, who's had a reasonably good season. Um, yeah, yes. But but not probably not stamped himself, so he's probably. I think looking at, at some of the, the, the more astute draft watchers, they were predicting him probably somewhere in the third round um, to fourth round. Yeah, that seems about right. And given that he's a NGA Academy player, I'd probably see a bid come for him at the end of the third round. Yeah, so, you know, um, that's that's good for Melbourne that we've actually got someone in the Academy and, and actually fulfils um, a, a missing link on our list, which is that pacey players. Um, and, he, and he certainly looks like he's a high-pressure player, which is... You know what we were talking about with Shy Bolton potentially as well. So um, I guess at the draft, I've got down backs and pacey players, and we'll probably get one of those. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking? I, I agree, mate. I think that you guys are in a position with your list that you should, at that selection, just take best available. Um, I think that you can. Um, I think you can manage to cover the other things either via dealers with free agents or trading um, as in to get it back um, so I don't, I don't think you have to worry too much for me I'd just be worried like waiting and seeing who slips through to your selection there might be a, it might be a reasonable player like they all have to they all have to fit in somehow um, so you could see guys um, Zach Butter's got an injury he might slide he'd be a really good selection for you guys Um I don't th- could Caldwell could Caldwell make it to thirty three? No, I don't think so. I think Ian Hill could. Um, Ooh, that could, would be bad. I, I don't think he will. Um, I just mean that he could. And there's probably um, there's probably a handful of guys. Maybe Jordan Clark from Western Australia could, um, if people don't rate him as highly as I do. Um, but he's performed well all through the year. He overperformed at the championships was the only Western Australian player I think in the um in the all Australian team. I think he'd probably be a good fit. Yeah, he he might be available at your pick, but well it's it's really hard to know at thirty three. I, I think best available is the best tactic then. Yeah, agreed mate. So um yeah. Uh, it's it's a, a I guess outside of probably pick twenty this year it's and even and even after pick fifteen it's really just you know, throwing throwing a dart at the dartboard and seeing what sticks. But, yeah. Um, yep. It is. I, th- I think in this draft, it's you know obviously not great not having a, a first round, but I think this is kind of going to be one of those drafts where a few diamonds in the rough will slip through, and it's you know got to based on our recent recruitment, you know you got to trust that they'll get these right. You know, last year they they plucked you know um, they got Harrison Petty, who was someone I really rated at you know pick thirty seven. Which you know is a, a upcoming defender, so um, potentially looking to do the same. They got Bailey Fritch at thirty-one, so they know what they're doing around this pick at least. And to flip it round, what are your last words? Oh yeah, you have you have led the way in this episode. I, I like right. that, and I think when we do Collingwood, I'll probably end up leading the way as well, unless I'm crying. <laughs> um, in which case, I'll need you to do it. Um, so we'll we'll work that out. I'll be uh, going solo that week. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Maybe either way, I'll either be doing laps or I'll um or I'll be crying. Um, for the D's, it's just um patience. It's 
what we sort of say with a lot of the better teams, um, especially the teams that have good list profiles, be patient. Also, don't be afraid of change. I think that if you can look at the board and do a couple of those things like a trade scenarios and build your best 22 without Hogan in it, see what it looks like and then see what players you could potentially get for either Hogan or the pick that you get for Hogan to jump in and then go, are we a better team um, before when we had Hogan in it or now? And, and assess it sort of based on a really analytical basis because I really think that you will be better with someone like Stephen May um, strengthening up that spine. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid to don't be afraid to spin the magnets. And I think you're in a good spot. You just be patient. Beautiful. Um, I'm pretty much the same. I think um, like most of the finalists, especially probably more our comments around GWS are very consistent with Melvin. Um, it's a good list. Needs some tweaks and some minor improvements. I'd like to see an improvement in the coaching, given that our coach is effectively a rookie as well. Um, I think that bringing in Braden Pruce, whilst we a lot of us don't understand it looking from the player's perspective, um, we don't know what's being said behind closed doors and, and what he's being told about potentially coming up. And if Melbourne are looking at the 666 game plan and... and and figuring out how they're going to do that, um, and Bruce is a part of that. I really like the forward thinking, if that's the case. Um, like you said, don't be afraid of change. Trading out Kent and other type periphery type players um, to bring in youth and and get some some draft picks is important to make sure we keep that you know that under twenty one talent topped up, and we, and we probably do need a top up in there. Um, and then probably, you know, the big one is, uh, for me, is if you're going to trade Hogan, it's two first-rounders. That's the starting point. Do not budge on that. Now, if you have to give up your second rounder going back the other way, I don't care. Two first-round picks for Hogan. That's our starting point. Then we work out the deal from there. And if that brings in May, great. That's a net win for me, and a net win for us, in my opinion. Um, because, it, like you said, um, if you draw up the best 22 as it is with Hogan, and then you draw up the best 22 without Hogan. Um, but putting in a guy like Stephen May, I think we are a stronger team because of that. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really happy with how we've gone this year. And, and um, you know, bit of a shame we couldn't be in the grand final against you boys, Johnny. Yeah, uh, that would have been a, a dream come true and also my worst nightmare, so it's probably for the best of our friendship that it didn't. <laughs> but that's not to say that I'm not looking forward to um, how the days are going to be going and I hope that um, I hope they get the flag next year, mate. I hope that it, all things go well and uh, and you guys perform to an awesome level. So best of luck. Uh, thanks I everyone again. I Colin would get the flag this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, mate. I think you might be one of the only people that hope that. But <laughs> I um, I do appreciate it and do stay tuned and, uh, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. And thanks again. Thanks for listening, guys. See ya.